Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. I'm really excited, uh, really, really excited about this series as we started last week talking about the Holy Spirit. I, I, in that video, you see that it's kind of like this mysterious slash controversial topic in the church world, which is kind of sad to say that a, a part of God is controversial in the church world. But that's the reality of where we are, because there are so many doctrinal stances and, and thoughts on the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so our hope through this series is to bring some clarification and some understanding to a topic that is sometimes neglected or overlooked because of fear of division within the church. But the hope is through this series that we can bring clarity. And, and here's what here's, this may happen, and I'm okay uh, with admitting this, that we may get through this series and we may find we have some doctrinal differences and, and we don't agree and see eye to eye on this. And can I tell you, that's okay. Uh, that's okay. Uh, this doesn't have to be something that divides the church, but that we have the understanding at the end of all of this that the hope is to pursue the Holy Spirit in the gifts that he has for us. Amen? That's a good place to say amen. Yeah, yeah so that's where we are. So, um, and so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do a quick recap, and then I'm going to answer one of the questions that came in this past week. So last week, we talked about who is the Holy Spirit, and the idea was one of the questions that came in was, okay, Who's the Holy Spirit? How do we know that he's a part of the Trinity when the Bible doesn't explicitly say the Trinity and the triune God? And so we started all the way back in the Old Testament with the Hebrew word for Holy Spirit, which is ruach, and we get to clear our throats every time we say it and then clean the microphone later, right? And so that word means wind, it means breath, and it means spirit. And we have this, the the word in the Greek is pneuma, which also means wind, breath, spirit, same kind of movement. And we see then that the Holy Spirit is this life life-giving creator, right? And so the Holy Spirit comes to give life. We saw that in the very beginning of scripture that it said the Spirit hovered over the waters. And so as God then speaks the creative words, then the Holy Spirit works and we see creation come to life. So it's, it's the Father and the Spirit at work together. So we see then the Holy Spirit is this life-giving creator. So what does that mean for us today? That when we receive Christ and we have the, the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit, that he brings new life, right? Because we were dead to sin. Now we are alive in Christ. We are a new creation. And that is good news for us. Amen? It's good news for me anyway. So I, I know that for sure. So, so that is the Holy Spirit. And that is who he is. So we established then that he is in fact God, that he is a part of what we call the triune God and the Trinity. Meaning in that we have one God that is three parts. And one of the, the ways we saw that was that Jesus' baptism, when John the Baptist baptizes him, Jesus comes from the water comes up, and then we see the Spirit descend on him like a dove. And we could talk about the word hovering again, but I'm not going to rehash the whole message from last week. The Spirit ascends on him like a dove, and then we hear the audible voice of the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so in that, we have the depiction of Father, Son, and Spirit in one moment. And then we also have Jesus then speaking to it, saying, go, go into all the world. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he did not say in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One singular name in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there we have the Holy Spirit is God. So we see that and we understand that when we established that last week. The Holy Spirit is God and he is a part of our Trinity and our triune God and what we have. So there's our kind of our foundational truths and basis to build on. And now that is not controversial doctrine. That's pretty widespread and and accepted doctrine, right? So one of the questions that came in this past week, and I want to answer this, because I could see um, some confusion uh, if you were to do any kind of depth or research into the language used. So the question is this, it simply says, I've read in a translation of the Bible that the Holy Spirit is referred to as she or her, but yet I hear people and pastors talk about the Holy Spirit as he and him. So first of all, clarification right up the top. If there is a translation of the Bible that is referring to the Holy Spirit as her or she, 
toss that translation out and get a new translation. Because what you're seeing right away is a poor, mis, uh, is a poor translation of the Greek and Hebrew text, okay? So here's where this comes from. And so let me bring some clarity to this in the answering of this question. The word ruach, which we use for the word spirit in the Old Testament, is in fact a feminine word based on the, the uses of the language. So it, uh, there is the Hebrew and the Greek languages are both what we call, um, they, they use what is called grammatical gender in their words, similar to Spanish, right? So I'll use it this way. So when in the words, in the, in the English, in the Spanish language, let's get it right. Otherwise we're gonna have more confusion, right? In the Spanish language, the word for fish is pescado, Right? That O makes that word grammatically gender, right? Male. Does that mean then in the Spanish culture, every fish into them is a male? No, because that would be asinine. That would be ludicrous. It wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. And be like, every fish is a male and they keep having more fish, right? Wouldn't make sense, right? So you have to understand the, the, the grammatical gender usage in this text. And so whenever you see the word, yes, ruach is in fact a feminine word based on the spelling in the Hebrew. However, you find the, 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 the gender, so to speak, based on the grammar around it in the context in which it's used. Now, flip over then to the New Testament, and we have the word pneuma, which is completely gender neutral. So it's just essentially just spirit, as in there's, it is non-gender related either way. Here's what we find. Here's what it boils down to is this. And, and, and I want to read it the way I have it written so that it is intentional in what I'm, I'm seeing here. So what you find is that in the context of what Scripture is saying is that the Spirit, God, and Jesus are all referred to as He. But let's bring some clarification and some deeper understanding to this because uh, the Bible basically teaches that all three members of the Godhead are persons, okay? And that while God is more than human categories of masculine and feminine, he is personal. The Holy Spirit is not a she or an it. He is a person. Hebrew and Greek following the grammatical gender. And I heard the statement this past week, and I, and I want to share this, that, that the ability, so we try to fully understand God, right? And when we seek out understanding all the truths of God and knowing all that is God, and here's the reality, we never will. The moment we can fully categorize or explain all that God is, he ceases to be God. Because in that moment, we've then placed a limit on, our ability, on who he is and how we can understand him fully. And if we can fully understand God, then we have categorically removed the, the deity aspect of, of God. So the object isn't to fully know all things about God, but to know God and be fully known by him. So we have to understand that and realize it. So in some of these things, as we teach, as we understand, as we walk through this, we will not be able to answer every single question. Because there are some things and depths and truths of God that are going to go well beyond us, at least me. If you have the answers, let me afterwards, because I would love to glean from your knowledge and wisdom. And, uh, and I say that with, no, with like true, true humility of statement. If, you, if there are things you get that I don't get, man, I will gladly learn from you. I have people that I call. Uh, especially on hard truths and difficult passages, because I know that in my limited understanding and scope that I could steer people in a really weird direction uh, unintentionally. And so I want to make sure that I seek out truth uh, from people better than me, right? So uh, that is kind of, the, that was, that question came in this week. Um, and the first thing, really, really, truly, truly that I want to say, if you find a translation that refers to, the, to any aspect of God as, as she, honestly, that is a really poor translation. And I don't mean that just in that one instance, but I mean that there are probably misuse of grammar all throughout that translation, uh, and not just in that one specific category. So, so understand that as I say that, um, and, and I have no issue saying to toss that out because it's, to me, it's not scripture anymore, so find a new Bible. I would recommend the NIV uh, personally. It's uh, what I prefer to read. I find that the NIV is one of the most accurate translations. Now, does that mean it's 100% perfect in, in all things? We can, we can debate and argue, right? It's one of those deals. It's just there are people that are going to have different interpretations of Greek and different interpretations of Hebrew on certain things. And you can, okay, we won't get into all of that right now. But I like the NIV. I find that it 
tends to be the most accurate translation. Um, anyways, so today, let's continue our conversation on the Holy Spirit and who he is, and particularly the gifts of the Spirit. This is a, a fun conversation that needs to be had and needs to be discussed because it needs to be taught on because if we're going to fully know the Holy Spirit and who he is, we need to know his function and his role within the body and within the church. So let's talk about this today. So um, my encouragement for you is this, because today we won't be able to go through all of chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, but we will be pulling all of our texts from those three chapters. So my encouragement to you is after this, during this week, go back and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and pay attention to how those chapters all flow together with the same thought in mind and the same understanding in mind. So my encouragement, again, is go read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So the big idea today is this, that the Holy Spirit gifts the people of the church in different ways for different purposes, all for the purpose of empowering the church to reach the lost. So we're going to, like I said, we'll be in 12 through 14. We're not going to start there, but today I want to talk about proper Pentecostals. Now, when I say the word Pentecostal, the great thing is everybody begins to kind of shudder and get scared, and it's awesome. And can I tell you, uh, in a sense, rightfully so, right? You hear the word Pentecostal, and it's like, what in the world? So basically, we're about to start splitting men and women on either sides of the room. Uh, women, no more makeup. I want your skirts to the floor. Uh, no, this is, right? this is the connotations that, that kind of get stirred up when you hear the word Pentecostal, right? And it's just kind of this legalism uh, and this works-based faith and, and salvation that you will never be good enough to obtain, right? So hopefully we've dealt with grace and salvation enough to understand that that's not what we are about and that's not what this means. So we have to understand first and foremost, where does the phrase Pentecostal come from in order to place it in the right framework of what it means to be properly Pentecostal, right? And, and what does it mean to, to be spirit-filled and, and, and scripturally based and led by the word of God? Because that's what we want, right? So, so at the very beginning, the very first thing you need to know is this. It starts all the way uh, in Acts 2, and it says this in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So we need to know what is Pentecost. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. It was a day of celebration, so this starts out actually as a, as a Jewish kind of day of celebration. It's the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And so they're all together in this place. So this is, all of this stems from this moment in this word Pentecostal and kind of the fear element that is now given to that came much, much later. Uh, and, and I promise you this, you don't find in scripture that, that Paul refers to certain churches as Pentecostal. Uh, right? It's not, we've added our own uh, ideology and wording to that. It's similar to the word Trinity uh, or the word rapture, things that you don't find actually explicitly stated in scripture as such, but we've given names to themes and ideas, right? And so that's what we have with the Pentecostal word. And yet Pentecostal has kind of taken on a negative idea. And you just all of a sudden start thinking of like the eighties and the nineties and televangelists pushing people to the floor, right? And so this is kind of what gets stirred up, right? And so, so we have to see, so here's what happens. So they all together in one place, and it says in verse two, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is where Pentecostal comes from, right? So this idea, now, now we're going to talk about tongues today, and that may make some of you uncomfortable, but hear me, we're going to talk about it through scripture, and we're going to talk about it through the understanding of, of what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And so this may stretch you a little bit, and this may stir up more questions for you. We're okay with questions, right? So ask them, and we want you to, and so we want to help bring clarity and understanding, because I know that, uh, that if, if, if the Holy Spirit is kind of neglected, it's like we're getting two-thirds of God. Right, and so so let's talk about it. Let's bring clarity to these things. And so, so here's where we are: is that that this term Pentecostal, so to speak, and is is kind of got this negative idea in, in surrounding to it because of misuse of the gifts of the Spirit, and so it, because the gifts were 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 
flaunted or thrown around or used simply for the gifts of the use of the gifts. And so we, we want to bring this into alignment with the Word of God and bring it into alignment with Scripture. And so to do so today, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so um, at the end of this day, I will tell you this, you probably will not have a complete understanding of the Holy Spirit in all things, nor will I, because um, it, 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 it's, again, it's God. And so we will, we will, there's some things we will never fully grasp and understand, but we're going to do our best according to Scripture to have an understanding of the gifts of the Spirit, and, and more specifically what would be defined as the sign gifts. And we'll get into explaining that and understanding that. So here's what it says, uh, and I, I'm going to start before you have on the screens here in just a second, but in, verse, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. So Paul's going, listen, they had questions all the way back in the, in the Corinthian church, okay? And Paul's going, yeah, we should probably address this and talk about this. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols, meaning non-living idols that can't speak and do things. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So this goes back to the drawing of the Spirit, the, the enlightening of the Spirit. Uh, and, and so we, we can get into the understanding of the Greek word of faith and all that stuff at another time. But just the Holy Spirit is what draws and enables us to know the Lord, right? He said, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So, so he's saying, listen, this Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to give you uh, gifts. And they're going to be different. And, and know that, that there's different gifts. And, and so be aware of that. So when you see one person doing this and say, well, it's the Spirit. And they go, uh-uh, because when I do this, it's the Spirit. And he goes, understand, it's the same Spirit giving all these different gifts. So, so understand that there's different service, and it's all the same Lord. He said, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So here we go in verse 7 uh, in chapter 12. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And what's the common good? Jesus says that we will receive power to be his witnesses, right? And so the common good is the building of the saints to be effective in ministry to reach the lost, right? To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gift of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of, the one, and, of, of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I want to talk for just a moment about a common good. So we see in Acts chapter 2 that, that the day of Pentecost comes, that the Spirit comes, and the tongues of fire, and we, we all know this story, and you hear it in, in, in children's church and all this kind of stuff. You know the story, and they begin to speak in other tongues. And, and Jesus had told them prior to this, he said, you will be baptized in the Spirit. He said, the Spirit will come on you, and you, you will receive power, right? He says, you're going to be empowered when you receive the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And so understanding that common good. So here's a, a really cool thing to look at. Think about Peter for a moment. Peter, who just before uh, the resurrection of Jesus, he denies knowing him to the point to where he couldn't even uh, acknowledge that he knew him to a little girl, right? And, and it's, it's intentional and understanding. So he cowers to this, this, this moment in this little girl, and he's like, no, I didn't know him, and he curses at her and all this stuff. And it's like, Gain some composure there, Peter. But anyways, you know, and so you see this moment of complete failure and he's like, I can't do this and he can't stand up. What happens then after the moment of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, is that they come out and everybody's like, these people are all drunk. And he's like, no, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. What do you think we are? He doesn't say that, but it's what he's implying, right? And he's like, no, they're not drunk. He said, they are speaking in other tongues as enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens then in this moment, Peter, the same person who cowered under the pressure of the moment to a little girl and couldn't admit the fact that he now stands up and begins to proclaim the gospel. And what happens? People come to know the Lord. So the power of the Holy Spirit, the, in, the intention and the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to reach the lost. Now, I will say this, and it is 
It is, it's been well documented and is now being uh, essentially reversed in our fellowship and in our movement that there's been heavy, 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 heavy emphasis simply on, on tongues and not be the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but just simply the physical manifestation where people are like, oh, he's speaking in tongues. And it's like, but, but why? And so the purpose is so the common good of the church so that we can be filled up and empowered to reach the lost. Right? Some of you are going, I don't know. Like, I'm not, where are you at with this? It's good. So here we have Paul now talking about this, and he's saying, you all receive gifts and different gifts for a common good. And the common good and the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to reach the lost, right? And so he says, understand first and foremost, there is diversity in the gifts. There's diversity in the gifts. There are so many different gifts that, that, that God is going to distribute all by the same spirit. He says, so make sure your understanding of that, right? Make sure that when you see, okay, that person could be working in the gift of spirit. It's like, well, they probably are. Because there are so many different gifts. They're like, man, that guy was just speaking a lot of wisdom. That's a gift of the spirit. Like, man, that dude was dropping knowledge. Oh, gift of the spirit. This person is speaking prophetically. Oh, Gift of the Spirit, right? And so we, we see is, is here, as Paul is, is kind of laying this foundation, he says, I don't want you to, to not understand what's going on here. You need to be aware of how the gifts of the Spirit operate and how they move and how they work and how they should be at work within your worship service. So he starts out by laying the groundwork that there's so many different gifts and it's all for a common good. It's all for the same purpose, and that is to build the church and build the saints to be witnesses to the people outside of the walls to reach the lost, to reach the lost. Now, in, in the Corinthian church, there, we, we don't have the letter that they wrote, but Paul references the letter, right? And I wish we had that because I want to be like, what exactly did they say? What exactly did they write? But, but Paul references some of the things that, that were apparently written in this letter back to Paul, and so he's responding to them. So clearly there's some sort of debate going on within the body in, at the church of Corinth, and they're going, uh, well, I think I'm better because I have this gift, and the other person's going, excuse me, nope, I'm better, I have this gift. And Paul's going, easy people. So what we see here is, is Paul is trying to break down a uh, spiritual status uh, like system, right? He's like, you know, we don't have a spiritual status system here. Uh, so let's, let's, let's debunk this, this thought and this idea and understanding that there are several gifts. So here's what he says. He says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. This is in verse 27 of chapter 12, sorry. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, Second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, and yet I'll show you the most excellent way. But here's where we are with this. Paul, prior to this moment, had just talked about how we are all a part of the body of Christ. That as each different person has a different role and responsibility within the church, we are still all a part of the body. He, in fact, he says, if, if we were all eyes, how would we hear? And if we were all ears, how would we smell? And I would say, hopefully good. Hopefully we take a shower before we came in, right? Okay. It's a really bad, like, Bible joke. So don't, we'll just, we'll edit that out of the podcast. So it's, thanks, yeah. We'll just keep moving. Just keep moving. But he's saying, he said, just because a, a foot says, well, I wish I was a hand, he doesn't know, he doesn't any, just, just cease being a part of the body. Like, well, I wish I was that, and therefore, I'm done. Well, no, you look down and you go, well, I still have a foot, and I'm still walking, right? And so he says, understand that each person's giftings and what they have and what the Spirit empowers them to do is all to bring a fully, holy, healthy church to be utilized, empowered, and gifted to do the work of the Lord outside of the walls of the church. He said, so, so don't be playing this game of, of saying, well, am I better or is he better? Or what's this or what that? He says, don't do that because we are the body of Christ. And so we are empowered by the gifts of the Spirit to all work in unity, to work together to do the work of the Lord. And that's one of the things we have to understand is that this isn't about being better or worse than. In fact, he says this. I, I love it. This is a little tongue-in-cheek, and you have to understand this. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And you go, wait, wait a minute. You just said 
that, that we are all a part of the body, that we all have a role and we all have a purpose. And so, so Paul, then in this moment, so we have to understand this because of where he's going. So reading ahead helps us to find the context of what Paul is making this statement. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So he had just, he had just kind of stated, he says, first we have apostles because we need leadership in the church, Right? So, so one of the things you have to understand is God is a God of order. He's a God of structure. He wants things done in a certain way. He said, so Paul's like, God, first of all, gave us apostles. And, and those are the leaders of the church, right? The leaders in the church. He said, and then we have prophets, those who, who speak and hear from the Lord and, and, and are able to then uh, give, give, give sometimes wisdom, sometimes knowledge. They can even sometimes call out hidden sin and all these different things, right? The prophets, he says, so we have this. And so he says, he goes through this list. And then we have teachers, we find the same kind of um, layout that in, in Ephesians chapter 4 in, in uh, verse 11, and Paul says this. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people. These, these are the only ones that are kind of listed in an order. Everything else then after that is just kind of, as they are coming up as giftings of things, are just kind of in different orders, in different places. But these are the only giftings that we see kind of given in an order. And he's like, so we have these and, 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 and we have this kind of order. And beyond that, we're going to have giftings. Now, here's the thing that we'll find. And there is overlap all the time. You'll have an apostle who's gifted in something else. You have a prophet who's gifted in something else. You have a teacher who's gifted in something else. And then you'll have those that share similar giftings, but then they're not teachers or they're not prophets or not apostles. It's, there's a lot there. And we could get into that at another time in another place. And that's not where we're going today. That's where my mind just went. So keep moving. So what does this mean to us today? What does this mean today? Ultimately, it means this is that Paul's stressing the need to seek the gifts of the Spirit. He said, no, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, which means to be zealous for, in, in, in deep pursuit of so he's saying, listen, you may not understand the gifts and you may think one's better than the other. He said, forget all of that, forget all of that and just desire the gifts. Eagerly desire the gifts. Now, so, so I mentioned a second ago, he says, but, but I will show you a better way, right? He says, so eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I said, there's a little tongue in cheek because he had just said there's no like status or social system, so to speak, in the spiritual world. So what is he talking about? He's saying what we have are those who are seeking out the gifts for their own uh, uh, self so that they are built up so that they look great in front of others, so that when they come in and they go, well, I'm a prophet and I'm going to speak. And, and it is not about building the kingdom and it's not done out of love, but it's simply done out of a desire to look better in front of others and to look great in front of others. And so this is where, so Paul is going, this is the problem is that you all think that you're better than the other because of the giftings that you have. And he said, we're going to, we're going to tear that mindset down and we're going to begin to build back up. So here's what we have is, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is known as the love chapter, right? And you hear it at weddings all the time. And I have used it in weddings. And that's the truth because it is this great depiction of the love of God when you start in verse 4. But we need to understand what is Paul stating and what is he saying to the Corinthian church? And he says, because he says in, in, in chapter 12, verse 31, the last verse of the chapter, he says, now eagerly desire the greatest gifts. And then it says this, and yet... I will show you the most excellent way. And then he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what is, what is Paul telling us? Man, this is, this is so good, and it needs to be understood, is that, that he says, I don't care what giftings you have. I don't care how, how great you think you are spiritually. If you are doing it out of a selfish heart and out of a selfish mindset, if you are not doing it purely out of love for other people, you are simply making noise. 
And one of the things that we fight in this term, in this world of like Pentecostal, one of the things we fight is this mindset and this attitude that, that the spirit was only meant for empowering within our services and then, and then it becomes unhealthy and, and it grows out of this, 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 un, uh, this, this wrong motive and mindset that it's about empowering to reach the lost. And so we, we would see things. And so this is something you fight a little bit. It's culturally, people are like, you know, I don't know about that because things got weird at one point. Yes, they did. But we have to understand that if we are acting out of love, if our motivation is the love of the Father and the love of the lost, then we can only operate in the gifts out of pure love with the motivation to see the world changed. And that's what Paul is pushing for here. He's saying, I don't care how great you think you are. I don't care how, how awesome you think, you know, how awesome the church thinks you are because of the giftings you have within the church. He says, if you don't operate out of love, you simply are a noisemaker. It's like going to a football game back and, and you have like, and like these clickers and stuff. Like that is accomplishing nothing but annoying me. <laughs> and that's kind of what Paul is saying. He's like, you're just a clanging symbol. Don't do it, Sean. I was about to be like, Sean, just go and just start banging on a cymbal and let's see how much we enjoy that, right? It's not enjoyable, right? And all it would be doing is causing attention to the drummer banging on the cymbal. And we'd all be going, okay, Sean, that's enough, right? You know what I'm saying? Paul is saying, operate out of love first. Otherwise, the gifts of the Spirit are worthless to you. So that's putting 13, chapter 13 in context here, changes the perception and understanding of what he's saying. We have to love people first, love God and love people. Then the gifts of the Spirit become valuable to us. Then they become tools to reach the lost. Now let's jump into chapter 14. And it says this in verse one, it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. And he says this, especially prophecy. For, who, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He says, but I would rather you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So Paul, what is Paul talking about here? This is specific to the worship service in this moment. This is to, this goes on, he's, he, in this whole chapter, he's talking about proper worship. This was where I pulled that phrase, proper Pentecostal, right? Because our culture deems Pentecostals as like the spirit-filled movement, right? And so this is what Paul is talking about, proper worship. He's saying, first and foremost, his preference would be a word of prophecy. He's like, I would, my preference would be a prophetic word. He even says, you know, I would rather you speak five intelligible words than a thousand words in the spirit, right? And so, so he has this, this, this kind of this turmoil. He says, however, if there is somebody who gives a message in tongues, who speaks in tongues, let there be an interpretation. And we'll get to more of that in a minute. We'll get further down into chapter 14 in just a moment. So there was a, a question that came in this past week, and I want, to, I want to answer it now because it fits perfectly because it even said, uh, basically, thinking specifically of 1 Corinthians 14. So this, is, uh, this worked out really, really well. When that question came in, I was like, well, that's only perfect because this is where we are in our text. And it says this, um, what is the difference between speaking in tongues and praying in the Spirit, or are they the same thing? Can anyone access the gift that has received Jesus um, and it says, thinking specifically of 1 Corinthians 14. So they are similar and different, right? So in this context, what we see here is so is you have, you have praying in the spirit, which is, yes, speaking in tongues. And then you have what he's talking about here. Paul is talking about a message in tongues. And so the person then speaks out in a tongue and everybody's going, unless somebody interprets this, we don't have a clue as to what's going on in this moment right now, right? And so, so what Paul is saying is like, okay, 
my, my preference would be prophecy for that very reason, so that the body can be edified. But if there is a message of tongues, there needs to be somebody with the gift of interpretation to then come interpret. And so what he's saying is, is that you should pray in the Spirit. He said, I want you to pray in the Spirit. And Paul even talks about, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says, I'm proud to say, I speak in tongues more than all of you because of the spiritual edification for the individual believer that comes from praying in the Spirit, which would be, yes, praying in tongues. And so understanding that sometimes those terms become overlapping and become a little bit, uh, can, can be caused some confusion if with, without understanding the context and where Paul is speaking specifically in that moment. So I understand uh, where confusion can come in. You go, okay, so wait, what's going on here? So what Paul is saying is like, yes, uh, I want you praying in the spirit, which would be praying in tongues for the, for the individual believer. But, but if you give the message in tongues, if you give a message, if the Lord comes and says, I want you to speak audibly in tongues, then you give that, there needs to then be an interpretation. So can anybody access those gifts? So what happens is at salvation, and we'll get more into the baptism of the Holy Spirit fully next week. We'll just give a quick uh, statement on this real quick. So, so we have the, the indwelling of the Spirit, but that's that new life, salvation. And so then the gift of the Spirit is then available to any believer who pursues and seeks the gift of the Spirit. It's there. And so you go and you say, Father, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. And, and sometimes it is a work for it in a sense of, it doesn't just, sometimes it doesn't just happen, but then it is available to the believer. Uh, so we'll jump, jump way into that question in depth next week on that portion. But I did want to bring clarity to um, praying in the spirit and, 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 and the message of tongues because I could see where there could be some, some kind of confusion and going, what's, is there a difference? Are they different? What's, there's, so yes and no. That's a really clear answer for you. That was on purpose. I just want you to know. Uh, so here's where we are. So now we're talking about our, our worship service, right? And so Paul is, is trying to bring order to their service. So Paul even deals with uh, their service because clearly there was just a lot of people going around just speaking in tongues, purely just speaking in tongues and just going on and on and on. And he's going, is anything in, in, you know, happening that's, that's intelligible that you can make out? Is there anything happening where the mind is being edified, where the mind is connecting to the Father, or is it all? And so, so what we see then is he starts to, to work through in this setting and saying, okay, Corinthian people, uh, let's bring some order to what you got going on, because apparently their service was pretty chaotic um, and maybe looked like the 80s. I don't know. I was born in 84, so I was around for, well, I slept under a pew. What am I talking about? I don't remember it. Uh, it's true, didn't I? I slept on a pew all the time, Sunday nights. Yeah. So what Paul is saying here is, so part of the, the misunderstanding or, or the thought of, of Pentecostals, right, is that every fifth Sunday you bring the snakes out, and, and it's just kind of this, uh, this, this crazy snake handling thing. It's this backwoods Tennessee stuff going on. If you want to look that up, that did happen. That was a thing. Not our church, but, you know, like, I watched a documentary on that one time, and I was like, oh, no wonder people don't believe in Jesus, because you take one scripture, and you just completely create a doctrine out of it. That's unhealthy. That's another story. But, but so, so in, this, in this role today, trying to change the mindset of what it means to be spirit-filled, and the term Pentecostal is a kind of a, a dated term that's not used as much, but to be a spirit-filled church, I think, is a healthier term. And understanding that, that, that we want to be led of the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, full of the Spirit. And so, so Paul is saying, hey, listen, we want to make sure that, that when people come to your church that they understand that God is here and moving and active. So how do we create order? And so in verse 26 of chapter 14, he says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. This is what I love what he says then. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Paul, Paul doesn't play around. 
Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Here's here's what Paul's dealing with. Was a church in which the gifts of the Spirit are active and, and the Spirit is moving, yet there's no order or control. And so people all over the place are popping up, giving a message to tongue, message to tongue, message to tongues, and then somebody may give a word of prophecy, and then they get then somebody else is popping over here, and you're going, "What is happening? My head is spinning, and I'm not sure if any of this is real or not." And so Paul even says he, he makes this statement later on. He goes, "Here's the deal." If, if everybody's in there just speaking in tongues and an unbeliever comes in the church, what are they going to say? Literally, he says, he's, they're going to walk in and go, you people are crazy. And I'm not making that up. That's what Paul says. He goes, if you're all just speaking in tongues, unbelievers are going to walk in and they're going to go, uh, those people are crazy. I'm out. He says, but if things are done in order and things are done correctly and there's a prophetic word and the word comes in and edifies the church, you know what they're going to say? They're going to walk in and they're going to go, God is in this place. See, the working of the gifts and moving within our spirits is not so that we can be glorified ourselves or so that we can look ultra spiritual to others, but so that the word of God goes forth and people's hearts are transformed and changed and drawn to the Father. That's the purpose of the gifts. And Paul says, if it's not happening in that way, if that's not what's taking place, if people are going, and I'm out, and they start like backing out, so you're doing it wrong. And if it's not done in order, and so hear my word, hear my vow to you, this church will operate in order at all times because I will not stand for it. I'm not gonna let our church become weird. I've said it over and over. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird, all right? And, and if I'm up here, I promise you, I will drop a spiritual elbow on somebody if I have to. Um, and go, mm, sorry, scripturally, you're wrong. I'm going to have to ask you to be quiet. And there'll probably be a visitor, some traveling, whatnot, coming through, a nomad, spiritual nomad, right? This isn't in my notes. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop. Just have my, hear my word. I will shut down a spiritual nomad. Just made that one up. I want you to understand this. So, is this making sense today? Are we, are, we, are we gaining some clarity, some understanding? Because my heart is this, that we understand the Spirit wants to operate and move. The Spirit wants to work in our services, but He wants to operate in control and in order. His heart and His desire for the church is to not appear weird or to do things that are chaotic. His heart is so that when people come, they go, God is in this place. More than our heart is. There's, there's times where you go, man, that was a great service. And I wonder if God was going, no, it wasn't. That, that wasn't great. That wasn't the spirit. That was emotion, right? There's, there's that difference. That, he's saying, let's operate. He said, listen to me, hear me. Let me speak and operate and get out of the way and let me do my thing. So Paul's idea and his, and his, his thought here as we work through chapter 14 is this. He is not trying to dissuade them from any of the gifts. He has his preference. He said, you know, I would prefer that you prophesy. He says, but don't, don't shut down the people that speak in tongues or give the message in tongues. He says, don't shut that down, uh, but just make sure it is done correctly. Make sure that, that the leadership has the backbone to stand up and go, that's enough, or, or stop there. Now we're outside of the, 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 the guidelines of, of the word of God, right? He said, so, so don't dissuade or shut down or push out any of the gifts of the spirit. Do them in order, in an orderly fashion. Do them in a way that isn't weird. Do them in a way that isn't, isn't odd or just emotionally driven. Do them in a way that is truly led of the spirit. And I love what he says at the very end of this. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but, in, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In a fitting and orderly way. 
So let's talk for just a minute, a minute about what we call the sign gifts. So there's different gifts of the Spirit. So like I said, there's apostolic gifts. There's, there's, there's like the prophetic gifts, things of that nature. But so the, 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 the sign gifts would be tongues, interpretation, prophecy, miracles, and healing, right? So those are what we would call sign gifts, and meaning that they are visual uh, or tangible. You can hear them. You see them in action. So these are the, the sign gifts, and that's kind of a, a newer term in, in this world. But it's the, the, the gifts that others see in action. So let's talk about this for just a moment so we gain understanding. So I think we've talked a little bit about tongues. Uh, the, the technical term would be glossolalia, so you can take that with you for whatever it's worth. Uh, speaking in tongues, and that would be this speaking in a heavenly language. Uh, it's a sign of spirit baptism. And on the day of Pentecost, they all received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they spoke with other tongues, right? And so we see that from the moment of the outpouring of the Spirit, the, the, we see the gift of tongues. Fair? You got that? Okay. And we'll see that even more next week. So just brace yourself. Just kidding. And then we have the interpretation of tongues. This is vital. This is necessary. This is important. Paul hits heavy on this. He's like, if you're gonna have the gift of tongues in your service you have to have the gift of interpretation as well. Otherwise, what good is it doing anybody but the person speaking, right? He says, when you speak in tongues, you build yourself up. He says, if there is no interpretation, we said this, that person needs to sit down and remain quiet. And that's not a shameful thing. I will tell you that if you feel like there's a message, that you have a message in tongues and you speak out and nobody interprets, it doesn't mean you're a heathen or a bad Christian. It doesn't mean you're a pagan and that you've lost your salvation. Understand this. It's not what it means. It means maybe, maybe somebody didn't hear the interpretation from the Lord. Maybe they were hesitant or resistant. But it means in that moment, you know what? We're going to address it and we'll move on. Then we have the gift of prophecy, a, design, a divine word from God. This is, hear me, this is important. This is not equal to Scripture, okay? This is not equal to Scripture. You have to understand that when we speak of prophecy, yes, we say it's a word from God, but even Paul says, weigh what is said, so when a, when a prophecy is given, weigh that. And what does that mean? Compare that, align that with scripture. Does this line up with the word of God? So if somebody gives you a prophetic word that is in complete contrast to the word of God, guess what you can say? Oh, thank you, but no. You know what I mean? I don't know what to say. I'm just like, I'm sorry. That's not. So prophecy, when the gift of prophecy is in use, it has to line up with the word of God. If it does not, it is not a prophetic word from the Lord. That's why Paul said, he said, no one by the Spirit will say Jesus be cursed. But, but if they say Jesus is Lord, that only happens by the Holy Spirit, right? So it's in that same le- that realm of thinking. So prophecy does not trump Scripture. It's not equal to Scripture. It is beneath Scripture, okay? So understand that that, that is how that operates. And then we have um, the gift of healing, let me say this real quick before we do this. This past week, Lauren and I went to this conference, and, uh, and, and they told us, hey, the first session, we have this guy that's coming in, and he uh, operates in the gift of prophecy. And let me tell you this. Immediately, this guy became skeptical, okay? Just throwing that out there, just being honest and real with it, because this is, this is kind of the day and age we live in. There's a lot of people that claim to be prophets, and they put up billboards saying when Jesus is returning, and oh, they missed it, right? Okay, so, um, so immediately, you go, we'll see. And the pastor of that church goes, I'm serious. Like, this dude is for real, operates in the gift of prophecy. And I was like, all right. So I just, just go, just kind of smile and nod and go, okay, cool. We go into the first session, and they have some worship being played. And, and then uh, he, he gets up and he speaks. And it was pretty good. And I was like, this is great. This is awesome. So I enjoyed his message. And then he goes, I got a little time, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he points to Lauren and I. And he goes, you caught my eye during worship. And he didn't call me out as a skeptic, right? That would have been awful. I'm like, <laughs> yep, no. But what he did do was completely read my mail. This guy's never met me in my life. And my name tag was backwards, okay? And he says, what's your name? I said, my name is Ryan. And, and you, you know this about me. He does not. And he goes, I feel like the Lord's given me the number three. And, and I was like, and immediately Lauren and I were like, a third child? No, no, Lord, no, no. <laughs> I rebuke you in Jesus' name, right? No, I didn't do that. No, but, but he starts giving me, he says, the number three, and he goes, as in third generation anointing? And I go, mm-hmm. So people in the room know me. So there's people chuckling over in the corner, like, he's calling you out. Like, he knows what he's, you know, like, this is real. And he goes, was your father a pastor? And I go, yeah. 
Was your grandfather a pastor? Yep. And then he starts talking about Grace Hill and starts saying things that I've been, been praying over. And, and we're talking specific things. And I go, hmm. And then he starts saying, I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you this. And it lines up with scripture and it's right. And he was saying some specific things about Lauren and about the giftings God has given her and specific things about, about healthy. I mean, just all sorts of stuff that was so spot on. That's a good test for somebody who really operates in the gift of prophecy is if they're not using general terms. Like, I feel like the Lord's telling me he wants to bless you. Thank you. Oh. Mm, so good. You know what I mean? He was so specific. So hear me when I say the gift of prophecy is real and active and working today, okay? So I, I'm going to share some stories through some of these giftings because I want you to know that the Spirit still works and operates today. So that one, okay, when I, I'll tell you this. He started saying specific things to me about the church and things that I've been praying over, and I just began weeping. You know, you go, power of God hits, uh, and then he comes over and prays over us, and I was like, don't stop, right? You know, I, let me just, whatever you have, I want. It's one of those kind of moments where you go, oh, man. And it was, it was remarkable. And he went, just three or four people in the room that he just felt like the Lord spoke to him about. It wasn't like he was going person by person. And it wasn't some like, you know, some psychic magic trick. No, 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 no. This was the working of the Holy Spirit in a prophetic way. Powerful. And I was no longer skeptical of the man uh, in the least bit. The next one is healing. Uh, so, so the ability for someone to see them healed, right? They have, not, not that they have a 100% success rate in praying over people to be healed. Because again, it is still, God is still sovereign and God still chooses the moments and we don't understand those things. But there are those he has gifted in healing. The same thing, same conference. We break for lunch and there's a lady who says, who's there with her daughter and they were about to leave because she was going to surgery from there because her retina had a tear and it was starting to detach. And so they were going to perform surgery to fix that. And so we stopped before they left and the pastor who is there is gift, has the gift of healing. This is an incredible, incredible moment. It's remarkable. And he says, we're gonna stop and we're gonna pray for her. So he goes over and just prays. It was nothing like, oh God, thus say, it was no, no, he just prays over her right? I'm in a session and I get a text message from one of the other pastors who had to leave and said, hey, this message came to me. They literally, this true story, this is Monday. We pray for her at lunch. She goes, in the pre-op scan, they can no longer find the tear. Not making that up. That is incredible, right? That's the gift of healing. This is, uh, so this same prophet is working with uh, Harvard Medical, with doctors out of Harvard Medical to create and, and document uh, miraculous healings. So they are creating a, a um, you would know better as what I'm trying to talk about, either of you. I'm just, it's, but a, basically a book that has these documented, a book probably is a good term for that. But, but as, as like a, <laughs> right, this is really good. I are smart, right? So, so this book that basically is documenting miraculous healings and basically presenting um, healing as a viable uh, option when, when, when medical science it reaches its limit. See? But there is still one more hope, and that would be healing. So they're compiling because healings are happening, and the spirit is still moving. Uh, and then the gift of miracles. The gift of miracles. So this is, yes, healings are miracles. Salvation is a miracle, uh, but this is outside of that realm. And so I'm watching my time. But, 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 so the miracles would be uh, these supernatural events. And we have many examples in the Bible, right? Seeing an axe head float, that's a miracle. Um, you can try it if you want. They typically don't float, so in case you were wondering. Uh, story in, in my life, kind of a personal story in my life, was really my father, when he was pastoring a small church, um, and, and there was no money, and bills had to get paid. And my dad had checked the mail already, and there was no money, and it's a P.O. box that's locked up. You can't get to it, that kind of thing. And he's in prayer, and he's saying, oh, God, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. And he felt like the Lord spoke to him and says, go check the mail again. And he's like, God, that doesn't make sense. It's locked and nobody's putting it. He goes back, checks the mail, and what's in the mail? A check. Money, bills are paid, lights stay on, church continues. Hey, gift of, of miracles, right? And, and working in the miracles. The spirit still works today. 
the Holy Spirit is still active today. And you may come from a tradition that says, no, the Holy Spirit doesn't work in those ways any longer. But let me tell you, uh, um, let's work through this together a little bit and let me help show you some things that the Spirit has done and how the Spirit still operates and how the Spirit still moves today and that he wants to be active in our services. And here's what he's gonna do. It's not gonna make us weird, okay? It is gonna create more depth in our worship. It's gonna create greater depth in our relationships with one another. Think of this, in the first church in in Acts and stuff, they they were walking in the spirit and it's that koinonia, right? That deep, deep fellowship and connection. The spirit draws us together, right? So that we're built up and encouraged and equipped to do the work of the Lord. And so, so hear me when I say the gifts are still in operation. The Spirit is still moving today. I, I share those stories with you because I, I want to, one, increase your faith uh, and build you up in that way. And then also, hopefully, if, if the, the move of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit has kind of been something that has uh, been pushed to the side or, or subdued in your world, I want you to hear that the Spirit is still working and doing things today and that He still operates. And that's why I love sharing medically documented healings uh, because you go, that was only by God. That's through the gift of healing, right? And and then the prophetic and that God is speaking and moving. I want you to hear those things because I want you to be aware that the spirit still works and operates today. I'll invite the worship team. All of this goes back to the words of Jesus. Acts 1, 8, and it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. I want to make sure that that as we journey down this road and in this conversation of the Holy Spirit, that we never lose sight of the focus of being the hands and feet of Jesus. What good is it if we operate in the gifts in here and we walk out and we don't reach a single person then we are (laughs) that that exact church that is operating without love and that we're operating in the gifts without love and then we are just simply making noise in these four walls that accomplishes nothing my heart is to reach the lost above all things I want to reach the lost. Above all things, I want to see people find Jesus and be radically transformed and changed by the power of God. And the greatest way we can see that happen is if we begin to build up and seek out the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your empowering. We need your gifting. We need you to lead us and guide us in all those things. And how do we do that? It's through the pursuit of of the Holy Spirit. See, when we neglect the Spirit in, in our church and in our services, we are operating on two-thirds of God, right? And that's not to say that two-thirds of God can't do great things. And, and, that's, and that's an exaggeration. Hear me in that. That's an exaggeration because the Spirit does work through salvation and those things. Understand. But Paul, he, he says, eagerly pursue these gifts. Eagerly desire be zealous for, long for, seek out, seek out the gifts. Does that mean that we're going to understand them all? (laughs) No, no, we're not. And that's good. And I say that because that only just solidifies the fact that he is God. And we use that as something that deepens our understanding of the fact that he is God. We need to pursue them. We need to seek them out. You say, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your leading. We need your guiding. And we do that by seeking out the Holy Spirit. And here's this. I know that this may open Pandora's box of questions. Great. Let's talk through it. Let's have conversations. Let's, let's, let's dive deeper into these things and, and begin to explore the topic and the understanding of, of who is the Holy Spirit. What does the gift of tongues even look like? What, what happens if there's interpretation? How, how does this feel in a Let's ask those questions. Let's explore these questions together. Let's jump into this because otherwise we we neglect the power of the Holy Spirit. Just because if we don't understand it, we go, you know what? We don't understand, so let's just put it over there. And that's that's not the right response. The response would be to ask the questions and to dig deeper so that 
we can begin to feel and see the Spirit move and manifest Himself in our service. Father, we love you, Lord. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you sent us your Holy Spirit. That God, on the day of Pentecost, as they were all together, as they were all in the upper room together, as they were there seeking you and just praying, Lord, and then all of a sudden, this mighty rushing wind comes and fills the room. Lord, and then there was the tongues of fire resting on their heads as it appeared. And then, then Lord, they begin to speak with other tongues as you enable them. Lord, God, these are things that, that we don't fully understand. We've have, we have no, no framework or understanding for what it would be like to have tongues of fire resting on his Lord, we don't, we don't grasp that fully. We don't understand that. But Lord, we know this, that we want all that you have for us. Even the things we don't understand. Even the things that we don't fully grasp. I pray above all things that our love for others is seen clearly and vividly in how we act and how we operate and how we move and everything we do. God, we pray that the love of Jesus is first and foremost. Otherwise, we're just making noise. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. So today, God, I pray that in our hearts that that we begin to desire more of you. That we begin to desire the, the deeper things of you. Lord, that we begin to pursue what maybe we don't understand or to pursue maybe something that we have let sit. And we say, Father, we want you to be active. We want you to be moving, Holy Spirit. We want you building us up to be used by you. We thank you for it. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.